The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Happy Friday! Especially to the delightful Mindy and Jackie on TikTok med students in Pennsylvania whose idea I'm blatantly ripping off. Or maybe they ripped it off from somebody. I don't know. Let's go around the room real quick and say happy Friday to everyone except fill in the blank. Go ahead, Aline. I think Riley was going to go first. Yeah, Riley was going to go first. (laughs) All right. Happy Friday to everyone except those people who do not... Get over when I'm trying to merge onto the interstate. Oh my God. You're oh making gosh. my life That's difficult and dangerous, and yes. you need to stop and yes. get over. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> for the for anyone not watching, we are all nodding because yes. But, well, because here's the thing: I've had I've had semi trucks do this to me, and that's like like I don't know where you expect me to go. My road is ending, and you are in the road I'm coming to. I where do you expect me to spit go? In my face, that not let me. Yeah, <laughs> spit okay. in my open mouth during flu season. Oh god, and no. not let me and over. not let me 2020 over. spit in my mouth. Just let me over. <laughs> all right, that's Alec, do you who's next? Uh, all right, thanks. A big happy Friday to um, everyone except the person who was the loudest snacker ever <laughs> when I was trying to see the Black Panther over Thanksgiving. Oh, oh, no. Bag of chips the whole time. I don't know how many bag of chips they had, but it was <laughs> incredibly that loud. A terrible Friday. Distracting. That, I hope okay. their Friday's not great. They, maybe they had a genie and then wished for like a never-ending bag of chips. That's a great idea. No one can <laughs> <laughs> But that person is a monster. Miranda? Happy Friday to everyone except whoever put the ad breaks in the Paramount Plus Star Trek Deep Space Nine because because <laughs> here's yeah. the problem. I understand having ad breaks. It's a discount on the service. I don't like it, but it's fine. Whatever. The show has pauses for the ad breaks. How hard is it to make sure that your ad break lines up with your ad breaks that you're not interrupting like Major Kira when she's trying to explain the really complicated sociopolitical event and then all of a sudden I see an ad for toothpaste. I'm tra- like, And then mm-hmm. it starts off in the middle of her sentence and I got to rewind. But then when it does, I got to restart the ads all over again. So whoever whoever put the ads on Paramount Plus and put them in such a bad way, I hope your, I hope your Friday is terrible. Okay. Everybody else, I hope your Friday is good. Okay. I agree with that. Aline. So mine is a happy Friday to everyone except people who will knock on a single user bathroom door, see that it's occupied, and then savagely wait outside until that person, usually me, is done. (laughs) It's unacceptable. I don't know who taught them this savagery. You wait five minutes at the most, and then you leave and find a different Five minutes? How long? At the most. seconds. I'm being generous, Riley. That's very generous. If they have to go so badly that they knock, you... Should probably start get hiking to the other bathroom, which is yeah. probably not that far away. I know, and this is all. So this is from the hospital. I usually am in desperate straits, and so I'm yeah. not going to wait around. Yeah, for I'm you not going to wait five minutes. Yes, exactly. Tell the people. Tell okay. these people that are doing this. They're doing it wrong. And then, and then even worse, people who will knock a second time. I don't. Did you think I was lying? <laughs> I'm still not done. What's your What's your phrase of choice when someone when someone knocks? Because I question. panic every time. Every time someone knocks, I go. I, I'm in here. 
<laughs> yeah, obviously. Or it's like occupied. I give a nervous laugh. I'm like, ah, it's occupied. <laughs> and then they usually say nothing and walk away, which is the right thing. Yeah. But I can respect people being like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then they walk away. The point is just walk away. Just just go. Mine's also bathroom related. Yeah. Happy Friday, except to whoever is in charge of sourcing bathroom tissue over at the hospital, which is oh, no. basically oh, this is true sandpaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this yeah. Is fair. Ha- happy birthday. Fly. I have a, <laughs> I have a delicate constitution. I don't, I don't need your, yeah. I don't need your, your rough, unabsorbent toilet paper. Yeah, we could yeah. probably cut now that you somewhere have, else. Now that you have that yeah. image. <laughs> Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. A production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, she's a sparkly gold nugget shining in the sand. It's MD, PhD student, Elaine Sanduk. I really thought you were going to say Riley. (laughs) (laughs) Riley, I think you're a gold nugget. (laughs) Just brush your hair back. No, Riley's like an earring that you thought you'd you'd lost, but it was stuck in your hair all along. MD, PhD student, Riley B. and Bush. I do that all the time, so fair. (laughs) Much like a coffee shop gift card you discover lurking forgotten in the back of your wallet, it's MD, PhD student, Miranda Skeen. Oh, I'm honored. (laughs) And he's a Mies van der Rohe Barcelona chair that you run across at a thrift store for $25. It's M2 Alec Hansen. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming to join me on the show today. It's too um, bougie of a joke for me. I don't get it. It's one of them fancy chairs designed in the early 20th century that's like mid-century, you know, that, that people think of as like modern furniture. Does it look vaguely Ikea-ish? You could probably sure, also find it. Sure, very somewhere. vaguely okay. though, yeah. Got it. Point is, it's rare and valuable like you, Alec. Thank Aww. you. Yes. Is that what you're heart? That's what I. That's where I was. <laughs> that's where I was. You certainly wouldn't find Alec Hansen in a thrift store. You would. You True. would find Alec Hansen in an Alec Hansen knockoff. At maybe. least a Von Mar. <laughs> yeah, you would find an Alec Hansen knockoff. Like a dupe. I for sure. Yeah. This hype. Thanks, <laughs> if it, it was marked twenty five dollars, it would be a mistake. Yeah. And you would jump. And on you should it. buy it. <laughs> You should definitely buy it. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Hey, we did a show back in back about a month ago on hot takes for medical education and medicine, and we enjoyed it a lot, didn't we, Riley? We had so much fun. I hope the listeners did too. It was probably pretty chaotic, but <laughs> I liked it because it felt as though my brain was personified within an episode. You know, so. sometimes I don't. Sometimes Love listeners, that. listeners, we're, we're going to have a little little come to Jesus moment. Okay. Sometimes, listeners, I don't care if you like it or not. (laughs) You know, like I just am having so much fun with the show that I'm like, I I just I just want to do it just for me and us. So, I mean, I still love you (laughs) deeply. I I love you deeply and with with an abiding love that, you know, the world has never seen before. But sometimes I do things just for me. So. So, yeah, let's talk hot takes because it was very fun to talk about them last time. And we had more that we could have discussed that we never got to. Yeah, part two. Uh, But before we get to medical school hot takes, I know we started with the with a kind of cold open with some semi hot takes. But anyone got a life hot take that they want to add to our cold open? 
others that were not mentioned? I don't, you know, Aline and I discussed this yesterday in my office and and it's the, the TikTok slash Instagram trend of, of, of showing your baby a face altering filter and seeing if it freaks them out. I, I, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, I haven't, but I've seen the videos. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was a trend. It, I mean, yeah, you, there's there's one going around right now on, on TikTok, especially I think where you know the the face is like the the face is crooked and the and the and the parent is like rubbing their child's face and then they take their hand away and their and their child's face is all. F- up and you know sometimes most uh, you know a lot of times the kids laugh and they're like these are little little babies yeah and then other times they're like "Ah!" and i'm like this has to be doing damage it's gotta be i mean it's gotta be it's like the the personification of the like i stole your nose game yeah oh yeah this one listeners taking my nose i put a little thumb through and they're like stole your nose and And i guess yeah i mean i guess that's i didn't really think about that you know that's some damage that we were doing back in the day before yeah filters the thing is, like, you can't do that to kids who don't have the developmental milestone of knowing what reality is and what's not real. Yeah. Because they think that's real and they flip out. I thought you were going to say you can't do that to kids who don't have noses. <laughs> well, also, uh, yeah, I that mean, would be very sh- unwoke. Probably shouldn't do that. You know? Yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking about is that, like, who's the joke on in that moment? You're you're just making fun of your kid because they're not smart enough to know it's fake. It's bullying, actually. Yeah. It feels yeah. like bullying. Have you seen the ones where they will, like, act as though the child has disappeared? Oh, my God, yes. See, these are traumatic yeah. for me to watch. That's so hot, very disturbing. Hot Take is no more pranks on kids on social media. Because if you watch, so that just for people who have not seen this, is we would be in a room and we would convince Aline that we no longer see her. So I'd be like, Dave, where'd Aline go? And Aline's sitting right there. And I'm like, I don't see her. Like, which, she must have gone to the bathroom or something. That which actually also would like mess a, with my head. You know, which that, is also oh my like gosh. archetypal or... I don't know if that's the right word, but but really sort of a, a primal fear that you're that yes, nobody yeah. can see. Well, especially you. as a kid, like I'm 26, that would freak me out. Yeah, but like <laughs> yes, yeah. Like I already have a fear of rejection. I believe enough science fiction to believe that this yeah. is a possibility in this world. I've read quantum physics. This is a thing that can happen. Yeah. Oh God. So yeah, no more of those. Those are really terrible. Yeah, yeah. that's mean. The only the only pranks that are fun is when everyone is laughing at the end. I have an example of a good one. It was like four. Four couples, like four four couples that were getting together at a restaurant, and one of the women, so it was four women, heterosexual women, who were dating men, and they were filming the couples as they arrived, and the prank was that they convinced each of the men to wear the same sure, sweater. Sure. Yeah. I've seen this <laughs> and one. And that was adorable yeah. and hilarious, and the men were laughing too, and I was like, yeah. that's, yes. That's like, a good prank. Another yeah. good one these days is when, so it would be, again, just a bunch of couples, and one person, it, or one couple is very newly dating, so one of the partners is being newly introduced to the group of friends. I see. They're sitting down at a dinner, and right Thank before you. the dinner starts, they go, okay, everyone let's do this really quick so then we can eat they then proceed to all stand up and say the pledge of allegiance (laughs) right before they eat and so they'll take a video of the new person to the group and the new person's like standing up they're like (laughs) and then they'll do a spin at the end and so the the person's like okay i'll spin really quick oh my god and they're actually amazing so again just like a funny thing where it's like that new person is not hurt by that yes pretty immediately 
they pretty immediately know that I they're need being to find yeah. they're being her. punked. But so, yeah. uh, and also like if anything, we, that's actually a very kind because that's almost like promoting social cohesion where it's like yes. I'm in the group and yeah. I'm, I'm participating. Yeah. That's a good point. Shortcoats, we love to hear from you. No matter what it's about. So call us at 347-SHORT-CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show. Anyway. Anyway, let's talk pranks, but med school pranks. And let's start talking about some med school hot takes. And so one Reddit user would actually like to claim that the vast majority of people listening to heart and lung sounds are actually just pranking us all and are not listening and are just doing it for show. That's hot take. Is it true, true or not? That's okay. True. It has to be. It has to be true on some. Okay, here's the thing. I fully believe because I have definitely been in rooms where it's like, you know how you're supposed to listen to patients' hearts and lungs every time, just like for yes. kicks yeah. and giggles? If there's like a healthy 25-year-old and I don't suspect they're not having any symptoms, they're not having anything wrong, I will just straight up be like, heart, heart, lung, you're good, fine. <laughs> and just be I, like, yeah. if I don't hear like a little baby screaming at me from inside their chest, I'm like, you're probably fine. This is the, yeah. I feel like this is the, the medical equivalent of asking someone to repeat themselves 10 times and then just being like, I, I'm never going to hear yeah, what you're saying, so I'm going that. to pretend like I heard what, yeah. you, what you said. Yeah. Well, the uh, corollary to that is whoever came up with like the five out of five sounding. You're <gasps> oh, like, oh, technically gosh. that's the that one you can hear without sense. a stethoscope. I'm like, bullshit. When did that <laughs> ever what, what happen? Also, why are you what? laying your chest or laying your head upon the bosom of someone <laughs> yeah. to hear this sound no, without no. a stethoscope? Without a steth- without even like just being in about? the room. It's, it's like the intensity of the noise that you're hearing from their heart. And there's like, it's like a one out of five scale. The five being you s- supposedly can hear it without a stethoscope. And I'm with you on this. That's like, fair. I call bullshit. Yeah. I, I highly suspect this has never happened yeah. ever. Like, that's like the theory. Like, someone was making up the scale and they're like, what's the loudest it could go? Oh, you can like <laughs> hear it when you walk in the door and you're like, <laughs> which in fairness, if I walked into a room and I could hear the patient's heartbeat across the room, I'd be like, yeah, I think there's something wrong with you. I don't know what it is, but you're maybe Andre the Giant if he had a murmur. Right. Or <laughs> someone with like an extreme case of gigantism. But I, yeah, I really doubt that has ever happened. Ever. Yeah. I had a very like clear example of this. I was on a rotation and the doctor that I was like rotating with, he was like, oh, this patient's got a got a murmur. Yeah. Or something. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm ready. <laughs> finally, I get to hear finally, actual. Finally, I can hear something. I go. Put my little stethoscope down and I go, I, I don't hear anything. <laughs> and this man made me sit there Are we talking for like about anything or just like I, don't I hear, hear the, the heartbeat. Okay. I hear yeah, he, the S1, S2, the it, classic. In the time between the doctor leaving the room and Riley entering the room, the man had died. We're talking, did not if we're talking intensity, <laughs> one to five, five being you can hear it literally not using a stethoscope, this doctor yeah. goes, Yeah, it's probably a one out of five intensity. I go, Oh gosh. So I sit there and he makes me sit there for like a minute. And this poor man is just me, medical student there, stethoscope on his chest, being so kind. But I was like, I just got to a point where I was like, yeah, I hear it. Yeah, I, like, yeah, I got it. I never heard it. 
Never yeah. to this day. So I am the living proof that sometimes people yeah, are just like, BSing us. I, I have heard yeah. heart murmurs, but you, they have to be pretty intense where you can put your stethoscope on and then be like, oh, yeah, shoot. Like, Especially if you haven't heard a ton, like hundreds of yeah. them over time. Do you, does it help to have them electronic stethoscopes? The uh, Probably. I don't Probably. fully understand what those... Can you explain an electronic stethoscope to me? They're just... They're just... Uh, it's just... A, it's basically the stethoscope equivalent of this studio. Yeah, you know, it's like, like a It's a microphone, microphone and an amplifier and headphones and <laughs> yeah i wish that there was like you know all these youtube videos that are not videos they're just like strings of music that people can put on in the background we need one oh, yeah. of those but like all murmurs that have ever been recorded Ooh. i just want to listen to that so that i know what to listen for yeah, yeah. I, this is going to be this yeah. is going to be the new short coat podcast passive income stream on youtube <laughs> Well, I mean, we it, need a passive income stream we for do need new microphones, apparently. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of true because when you learn heart murmurs, the one the examples that they give you are like very loud, very clear, very obvious, and like mm-hmm. even the even the lungs as well. But then when you hear them in clinic, they're like muted. You're trying to hear them through a sternum, which is thick. Like oh, and when you ask someone to breathe deep, and they're like. <laughs> and you're like through your mouth. Don't make me have to not be cool about this. Also, they oh. do it so quick. They're yeah. oh, actually, I'm like no, like a full breath. Can I tell you my least favorite? When, so when I'm in like medical clinic, and it's a lot of times with patients who don't speak English, and I sometimes wonder what the translator says because I'll ask. And actually, it happens with other patients too, but it seems to happen more with non-English speaking patients. Mm. But I ask them to take a deep breath, and they just go. <gasps> Yeah. And like hold their breath is like no, <laughs> like I, I need you to breathe out. Out is where the sounds are. Uh, anyway, back to the t- hot takes. Who's back got a hot, hot take takes. about medical school? I hate that I'm I'm pausing. There's a lot of words it's on all right. the sheet. It's Sorry, all right. yeah. I know I forget about editing. Yeah, <laughs> except for the people who are watching us live. They what aren't. We want to talk. About? <laughs> they aren't. We we don't do live anymore. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah. probably smart. Yeah, I mean. Well, Jameson's kind of mad about it. I, okay. you know, J- Jameson, <laughs> editors, keep this in. Jameson, love you, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Number right. one fan. Yeah. There were a few, and I think this one's actually from Miranda. So this one is oh, from Miranda. Miranda, I'm pretty sure, says yeah. that companies like, can this I is, say companies? Just do it. No, this is, actually, companies like Sketchy and UWorld are exploiting students' stress for financial gain. Therefore, pirating them should be encouraged. <laughs> yes. Because here's the thing. I get that pirating is illegal. This was mine. You are correct. This was mine. Because here's the thing. I understand that if you're kind of like, because Sketchy is like my prototypical, so I'll use it. It's a very good memory aid. I used it when I was studying for step one. I used it to study for classes. It is very helpful. However, like it is not, you do not need a continuous source to just maintain a set of videos on the internet. You definitely do not need like 60 bucks for a semester and then your access goes away that is ludicrously overpriced so Mm. in my opinion like i'm not saying medical school should like buy one and then distribute it but i am definitely saying that if like a student is like taking the videos down and then distributing them to the students like they're they should just be allowed to do that because that is such a ripoff. And it also mm-hmm. like further eyes is like, you know, richer students are able to afford more study aids than poorer students. Yeah. It's yeah. an equity yeah. issue and a system that's already pretty rife with equity issues. And you world is even worse, to be honest, because you'd mm-hmm. ma- maybe need a staff t- like you maybe need somewhere to like maintain a hosting for the videos. You don't need one for a question bank. It's mm-hmm. a question bank. 
like this is a good on. take this is a very good take yeah. and what's crazier about these companies is that they're also like not only one do they not want you to pirate it because like obvious for obvious reasons but two they're also like do not share accounts with other people yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's just an email also don't make me spend 160 dollars a month for your resource yeah i'm going to share this but the problem with you world is they they prevent against that because yeah. if you're yeah. sharing an account then you're missing out on the question yeah uh- yeah so there's an expanded <laughs> take on this is uh-huh. that so we have these kind of private equity versus the Pathomas, the Kaplan's, the Boards and Beyond, the U-Worlds, the Sketchies. All of these things are very commonly used in medical school. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, they're a lot better at teaching than the universities. Here's It's a take. It's no, a take. No, debate. It's a take. So we're going to take. I we're going to talk this say. take. They may be better at teaching it than the universities. Therefore medical colleges should actually focus on providing experiences that cannot be replicated by websites. I have a take very similar to this that I prepared. This after, is what we're here for. After we finish, but <laughs> I'm not mad at that. Yeah, I I'm mean, really not. that is actually a decent take because, and I think that's why, like, I actually really appreciate the university switching from like a four semester, four semester to a three semester, five semester ratio of preclinical to clinical for this specific reason it's because the clinical training is the part that you need to be in person for you're right the preclinical training it's like you just need to get the like baseline knowledge under your belt and yeah. I don't know if it's other med students or mainly applicants who are listening to the pod, but hopefully most students know that you can, if you get a conglomeration of students from your institution, typically you can get some sort of a discount as well. So I know that's yes. like what a lot of classes do. My class did it. I'm assuming maybe your classes yeah, my did, class it, as did well. it as well. But mm-hmm. so like it could be better. fight for those yeah. discounts because like yeah. they help a lot. Yeah, I, I think this one, this take is good at like its face value, but I have a lot of questions. Yes. One. If the universities are focusing on other resources to give students, say, you know, kind of combining the information together, kind of like how Carver does it, in which we're kind of getting these units that are not just learning biochemistry, but we're learning biochemistry in the context of a lot of other diseases. Mm -hmm. Are they then going to give students access to these resources? Because we just talked about these are financially. I mean, I I would actually argue that like I think I said in my hot take that like pirating them should be encouraged. I just think the university should just like shell out. Yeah, provide that. Maybe even like cut a couple of like little things. Now, here's the thing. I will also say I do think having medical school lectures is valuable if only because a lot of these things you need to learn over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Like you you can't learn all of medical school from you world. It's just not going to work. You do need like lecturers and time and structure, st- some kind of structure to help format your learning. Is it perfect? No, but I think it's there. I mean, to counter your point, though, a lot of people will just not go to the lectures. They're not even using the structure that the lectures have. They're well, just watching it at home two times speed and then going to these resources. But so how? They're still watching the lectures. They're still watching Mm -hmm. the lectures. Allegedly. That was my hot take was that (laughs) my hot take, which is exaggerated, but it's that traditional live lecture should go away. And I don't That's know. I disagree with that. In undergrad, we had flipped classes. I don't know if you're familiar, but uh-uh. it's where you watch a module beforehand, and class is solely a discussion. And I kind of love that. Actually, oh, I do like that. I think it's. I, I do think it's. You know, we've we've done that here. We still do it here for you know, according to an individual's course director's discretion. And I think that 
we've learned that it works for half of the people and for another half of the people it's not something that they enjoy yeah not a hot take mm. people just learn differently people learn to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. literally the the coolest of takes is just like people learn very differently yeah and but there is like there's something to be said about definitely like the money aspect to these external resources and honestly just how dang useful they are i know like I'll tell that, you what, though. like uh, that that's the problem is that they are well crafted which means that they can charge exorbitant amounts of money and students will pay for it because they are uh, extremely helpful I, I do think that among the problems with this hot take is that the schools can't guarantee that what's in these companies curriculum is accurate and I, I do think that the that in this particular kind of situation, the motive to be accurate is high. Yeah. The motivation yeah. to be accurate is high. But also, you know, like I, I think a, I think a school would be like, well, now we have to you know, if we're going to do that now, we have to vet the information yeah. that these, you know, I would also say the schools. I mean, there's probably more information between all of these resources than you could ever get through in like a reasonable amount of time to yeah. like learn the information efficiently. So that would be another problem is like schools can't just go tell you, like go through the entirety of Pathoma, go through the entirety yeah. of Sketchy, go through the entirety yeah. of UWorld. That's a lot of time. And it's likely teaching you extraneous information that you don't need. How many U-World questions are about yeah. aspirating a peanut when it's like, <laughs> that's maybe, you know, yeah. something you'll see, but not necessarily. And but- As somebody who aspirated a fruit fly today, I would really like <laughs> for them to include information <laughs> yes. about that. Yeah. Do you hear that, U-World? U-World, take note. Because <laughs> obviously flying. they're listening. Dave almost yes. died. After we've just said that we would like to be able to pirate your stuff yeah. without you yelling at us. I almost died today because U-World didn't cover it. You know, there. That's right, you world. You should sue you world. Okay. Um, yeah, but <laughs> lawyers already cool. I yeah. just texted him because like, uh, here's the thing. If I may, I don't think I want to expand on my take earlier because there is some value for students that like want to and have the ability to pay. Where it's like you can control your own question bank. You can control like what questions you've seen, what questions you haven't. You learn seen. a lot better through questions. Yeah, but it's like. And sharing a code has, because a lot of students will just like buy like a, a sketchy or you roll together and then just share the password. And it's like basically each approach has its advantages and disadvantages just depending on like what you can afford. Yeah. I think another problem just occurred to me about this idea. And maybe I think you started to mention this. Medical schools are pressured by the accrediting bodies to integrate their curriculum tightly mm-hmm. so that, you know, topics are covered over and over again in relation to say clinical correlation or, or mm. you know clinical knowledge so like yeah. revisited again yeah they're again. revisited the when spiral. you know so nutrition gets visited in, in you know the very beginning and then it gets visited again yeah in you know some other context and then later in the clinical curriculum and you know blah 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 blah, blah. and and so that would be something that would be difficult to, yeah. to that is a logistical nightmare to yeah yeah it, it does kind of bother me that we view <laughs> lectures as just a way of like like basically you need to memorize XYZ information to pass because theoretically that should be setting up your basis of knowledge for clinic. It should be more integrated with the curriculum. It should be like more tailored to like the you know school experience you're going to go through. And it sort of bothers me that it's more just seen as like, okay, you're going to know this, 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 because yeah, then you might as well just like, you know, make it flashcards. So, but that's my counter take against Alex thought, which is like, oh, just get rid of lectures. Yeah. It's yeah. like, in my opinion, I actually think lectures are incredibly important for the consolidation of information for yeah. that. Like yeah. this is the overarching picture of an entire topic yeah. because I, my, I mean, my take that I said last time, too, is like, I think Anki is 
bad for a lot of studying and that you take this lecture and you turn it into 20 Anki cards and you just memorize those piece by piece and you don't necessarily consolidate it within the context of a lecture. So I actually think that lectures are incredibly necessary. Yes, they might be modules before and then discussion afterward, but I think it's really important that people rewrite the way that they see lectures. Don't see lectures as a list of topics that you have to memorize. You need to see lectures as sitting down and understanding it yourself. And that's why I think it's actually important to not listen to them on two times speed or something so fast you can't take a moment as they say anyone have any questions to make sure that you understand and digest the story yeah. not just yeah. the points that made up that and story. synthesize yeah. it all I, yeah that that yeah. said i will disagree with you on the 2x because i do find myself because <laughs> here's the thing some lecturers talk really slowly and if the lecture this is why for some lectures i had to i like going to live lectures but i had to stop because some lectures they would take forever to get to a point i'd already kind of figured out mm-hmm. and so my brain would just kind of wander because like I'm bored and I'm like I have a shiny thing and then by the time I (laughs) by the time my attention is directed back to the lecturer they're like five slides ahead of me and I'm completely lost so like I I actually kind of like the recorded lectures idea if only for that reason now good lecturers can are excellent to go to live because again like you know they can kind of read a room and see like okay Mm -hmm. does everybody get it do I need to go over the information again you can ask them questions live in the lecture so good lecturers Excellent. Bad lecturers, let's just skip, move them onto a video. <laughs> Talking though, preclinical, this is again yet another hot take. The preclinical years, this is both my take and somebody else's, are actually really important yes. for the foundation of knowledge. And I'd like to expand this to say that the physics, the organic chemistry, the chemistry, mm. everything that you take in undergrad for pre med is also really important. I will die on this hill. And I know we touched on this a little bit last episode. I know that a lot of people say OCHEM is pointless. Yeah. I think it is incredibly important to understand the context of like organic molecules. Yeah. Because what are we if not just built from they're the basic sciences because they're basic because they're basic because they're basic because in my opinion if you understand the basics of like how molecules react with each other then when you go on and you learn about pathways where the organic molecules are involved it makes more sense because you actually like you don't necessarily have to memorize every single step piecemeal you can just follow the logic of what this like pathway is trying to do and then you know we you don't have to minutia. memorize anything if you just understand it yeah if, if you just understand sense. it yeah <laughs> yes yeah, so yeah go ahead i was just gonna say i totally like could not agree more with that hot take yeah just like i studied engineering and so i was really used to open-ended you know 15 minute concept and then like two hours of practicing with like real world problems and so it was like a really hard adjustment for me coming into medical school when we got back to multiple choice kind of do you know it or do you not yeah but like it definitely reaps rewards when you get to the end of didactic like we're in keystone now and it's super fun because it's like more open-ended patient presentation and i'm hoping like knock on wood somewhere that it's gonna pay (laughs) off for me well that'll be the rest of your life because i I exactly i completely agree because i had that same experience having come from an engineering degree and you touched on something where you said like solving problems yeah another take a love for solving problems is more important than a love for helping people. This one is technically a a take that I got from Reddit. This is a hot take, actually. And I think that Mm. there's probably plenty of holes to poke in this. And yes, it's not binary, but I think it's 
way more important than we're letting on. And I think that for medical school admissions, if somebody just wrote a whole essay about how they love solving problems, therefore they want to do medicine, it like wouldn't come across as nice. But like I'd argue it's just as important to becoming a good physician who actually really enjoys what they do. Yeah. I mean, ideally you want both. Right? Correct. That's why I said yeah. it's probably not binary, but, but. I, would, I would argue that there's a disproportionate number of people in med school that have a love of solving problems, but pretend to have a love of people because mm-hmm. they know that's yeah. what gets them in. I think medicine would be incredibly well served by having more people with better social skills and scientists don't have great social skills. Yeah, this is a good this It is, is a good not argument. emphasized at any point <laughs> in a formal way in our training. It's not even a... Like, I think you all have great social skills. Well, we yes, are, yeah, because we're the ones unusual. who choose to come on yeah, a podcast. <laughs> we are the exception. We're the ones who are like, let me speak to the world. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not even, there's not even a... Uh, a requirement to do any type of volunteering to apply to grad school. Yeah. And you know where you can see this? How badly we bungled the response and interaction with the public during the pandemic. <laughs> Actually, this is very right. true. Was, yeah. Yeah. Scientists, My entire argument this is so has true. just been... Yeah. No, no, you're not no, wrong. No, no, no. You're no, right. but, Absolutely not But wrong. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I but mean, maybe what you're exclusive. saying, though, is what's important is... The, the, the desire to communicate well with people. And, and well, even wanting to. Like... Treating an interaction with another person as an opportunity for mutual growth as opposed to that person just being a receptacle for your words. Yeah. This is a dead giveaway immediately whether or not I'm going to like being around someone is whether or not they ask me a question and then generate another question based on what I just told them instead of them waiting for me to stop talking and then yeah say more <laughs> things. It's an immediate dead giveaway. And it doesn't mean that I can't like that person or work with that person, but I can tell that I'm not going to enjoy it as much as someone yeah. who goes, hey, remember last week when you told me about this thing? What happened with that? Like, how did that go finally? Just saying, I yeah. think if more people were invested in these interactions, because like the the talent is undeniable. Doctors know what they're doing. Like we take all these tests, we go through all these assessments. Like we are we are absolutely Sorry. qualified to practice medicine. But the sh- sheer lack of basic communication skills that I see in the hospital, people going like, I guess I'm just not understanding. And then the patient or the patient's family being like, how are you not understanding? I'm telling you, you didn't call me. You didn't tell me. Yeah, Yeah. it's so important. But the point is made. The point is made. You have to love the challenge, the intellectual challenge of solving problems. But you also really, you really do have to like people. And you have to not just. And you have to be willing to, you have to be not defensive when you're dealing with patients. You know, yeah. when you, you have to when be you, okay with having failed. When you yes. have to be okay yes. with yes. and accept that failure. Because yeah. you're going yes. to. I mean, you're, you're absolutely going to. I mean, it, we would love it if it was a perfect world where. You know, yeah. you all left here and you knew exactly what you were doing. And then for the rest of your life, you never made a mistake. Which yeah. technically you may never make a mistake, but you can f- up just by failing to communicate with someone, even though you yeah. technically and legally did everything right. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. is legal is not always what's ethical. Yeah, but- I, I, I had a, I had an experience similar to this where it's like a, a patient was like insisting to me that I like we could try and get like a prescription that she needed. And I was telling her, like, the doctor told me that he doesn't want to do it. But then like she basically pushed me to like go get somebody who could actually like 
go deeper into it and we actually did manage to get her what she needed so there are just some times where it's like you kind of have to be okay with the fact that like yeah you like even what seems like the straightforward thing isn't necessarily what's best for the patient and you have to be okay with them humbling you and be like no and questioning you, you. yeah and questioning yeah. you being like no you work for me figure out how to do this and, and then, then it's like of- then yeah. at the end of the road, when we've definitely exhausted everything, sure, whatever. One but. of the best things that I ever experienced in my path to becoming a doctor, which I'm still in, was not in medical school at all. It was actually in watching my mom be the advocate for her mom's medical care. Yeah. Oh. Watching my mom actually sit up late at night, Googling, 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 advocating to bring my grandma from the Quad Cities, which is about an hour away from Iowa City, to the University of Iowa, in mm-hmm. which clinicians would actually listen to her. I mean, my mom, yeah, to this day, I mean, my mom diagnosed my grandma by telling a doctor, I need you to look at this. Mm-hmm. I need you. And it was normal pressure hydrocephalus for those who are interested. It is something that you wouldn't see on just imaging, but you could see it on a spinal tap and you need mm-hmm. both. And she talked yeah. to the physician and was like, I think this is a possibility. And that the fact that that physician had the grace to say, you may be crazy lady, but I'm going to listen to you at least enough to give you the validation that you need in this moment. And to just watch her go through that process, I've never forgotten it. And every time a patient now tells me, I think it might be this, I'm going to at least... What's the assume harm? it's a possibility. Yeah, it takes yeah. a minute to go. All right, I'll entertain this. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what you you know what she gained in that moment, or what that provider gained, the cooperation of this person forever. Yes. Exactly. She's yeah. so much more cooperative and such a better partner in care. That's an amazing yeah. story. And and so often you lose patients' trust by just not believing them when they tell you things, even if it's like because I I have a very distinct memory of being in like clinical training and having resident physicians tell me. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I used to, like, believe everything my patients told me until a patient who was, like, on drugs was, like, lying to me and made a fool out of me. And so then she's, like, stopped believing future patients. And it's, like, I understand that physicians can be hurt that way, but that's also not every other patient's fault. Like, sometimes a patient is telling you things because it's important. And you have to, like, maintain that trust if you're going to keep them. And you're going to keep them in the medical system because guess what? If they don't trust you. They're they're not coming back. They're not coming back. They're just not going to go to a doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I guess I guess my hot take is doctors need to be open to being lied to by their patients because the one patient <laughs> that's not lying to you is like they're never going to trust you again. <laughs> I, you know, I would take that even a step further and say and I think we've I think feel like we've, we've talked about this Dave. Medicine is a customer service industry mm-hmm. and yeah. Ooh, this is a good hot take actually. <laughs> right. And the number of like people that are in medicine that have never had a customer service industry job hmm. where you had to be shit on repeatedly by someone, but you really needed that tip. So you had to keep being that. And I'm not saying medicine should be like that, but what I'm saying is our doctor kid. should work for tips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We actually carry around little iPads and we go, which percentage would you like to give me? And we look away as they do it. <laughs> but you know, our job is to sell a healthier lifestyle to patients. We're yeah. trying to get them to subscribe and invest, you know, in a thing that's good for them. So there's ways to, you know, exploit principles of marketing and sales to be a better doctor. And that that I yeah. think is really lacking. We don't we don't teach people how to I mean, we talk about motivational interviewing, but that's about as far as we go, I think. Yeah. The only yeah. hole you could probably poke in that is the fact that we should 
as doctors ourselves take care of ourselves like yeah. customer yes. service people are not as you've mentioned they're getting shit on all the time yeah. so yeah. we probably don't want that part yeah. but yeah. we do want yeah. in some ways like i am a service to this patient and yeah they can't just go and like call me names and degrade yeah. me while i'm standing right no, there but at the same course. time i need to see them as a partner in this kind of treatment and so I kind of get where you're coming at and there's definitely like a balance none of this is binary we say yeah, yeah, them as hot takes as though they're binary yeah I was gonna say like I almost wanted to asterisk my own and be like obviously there are times where you kind of do need to put your foot down with your patient and be like you know you know you do have to like you know take your medication now that being said you should try and figure out if there's a reason why they're like not doing what you ask them or they're not taking their meds for whatever reason or they're like not doing this lifestyle but so, like do you you can't cross the line of like, oh, I guess we just won't give it to you anymore. It's also, you know, like, yeah. and, and a good reason for to do that is some of the things that y'all ask patients to do is very difficult. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very sure. difficult. For it's sure. not black. It's not easy for somebody to, you know, change how they eat or change how they exercise or change how they sleep or, or yeah. stop smoking or whatever. Yeah. Some of these procedures like like an NG yeah. tube is incredibly uncomfortable to yeah. get placed. So, so yeah. A little sympathy. I yeah. do oh. I do think that there's something kind of within this conversation too that I want to go back to, which is this idea that we should be actually happy for failure. We should actually be Ooh. encouraging our physicians to have failed in life. And I don't mean the like big failures as in they made like a major mistake, but I even heard someone once talk about how this is kind of a cheesy way to say it, but like they will actively seek out failure within their days so they'll go to a coffee shop and they'll say hey can i have a beer and the coffee person's like no <laughs> like cool got it all right and then they leave and it's those little moments and i'm talking thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's like they got told no and so for the those people who are incredibly afraid of like saying the wrong thing and failing something as stupid as that can actually be really useful but even yeah. more so i yeah. think we get a whole host of pre-med applicants who are making their application perfect yeah they've got the perfect gpa they've got the perfect mcat score they've got the perfect extracurriculars and yeah we can't just have like a section called how did you fail over the last eight years but i do think that there should be more value and this is kind of where the take comes in in having imperfect people. So this one specifically says, the fact that medical schools treat a 4.0 in sociology better than a 3.4 in insert difficult major is beyond absurd. And then they go on to kind of, and I shouldn't have said sociology. I don't mean that for anyone who's doing sociology. I probably couldn't do it. And it sounds also very difficult. Yeah. Insert easy major, insert difficult major. Yeah. We, we all, every, every college knows what they're thinking of right I now. I don't want people to feel as though I'm offending them. I really do apologize. Yeah. But regardless, it's this idea that, yes, those GPAs kind of are numbers, but maybe they're more so about the student who tried something really difficult yeah. and actually encountered some roadblocks along the way, whether that be a C in super hard quantum physics class or even like failing a certain class. To most students, they see that as a stain upon their application that they must then defend. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it should just be, I did some, like, I learned how to fail and how to return from it gracefully. You know what? It is that way. I I mean, yes, med school admissions wants you to 
you know, be able to demonstrate that you can do the work and do it well. But a C is not going to yeah. eliminate you from consideration for med school. That's not. So here's where my that's take not a comes thing. In. I want all perfect students to be automatically thrown out. I want if they don't have any degree of like a even a minuscule failure on there. Yeah, well, I don't want them. Sorry. Well, to I mean, any you're perfect. You're not pre-med. wrong because it's this like, is my take. That's the hot take. Did you just say sorry to any perfect people? Oh, yeah. No. Well, you're people. not wrong because I was that perfect person. I remember because I really wanted to take a differential equations course in college because I was a nerd and it was really really hard. And I started out like getting like my grade was solidly going to be a C by the end. I don't think there was any way I could recover it. And I just like, I withdrew from the class and I sometimes do look back and I wonder if I should have just like stuck it out and finished the class and gotten the C. I mean, you tried something hard just for the love of problem solving. Yeah. That's a really good yeah, statement on your character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How in cool fairness, would I also- be in a world in which you could like discuss those things? And I know a C, like there's probably people yeah. out there that are listening and it's like, I have a C. Is that bad? No. no, as we're just discussing. It's actually really cool of you to have put yourself out there to have tried something that is difficult. So. Yeah. And like a D or an F also isn't a killer just no. while we're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've certainly had many podcasters who obviously made it into medical school who, yeah. Yeah. you know, didn't do a perfect job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but the other thing, too, is like the vast majority of people are far less put together than us. <laughs> and and like it, you know in a weird way people who fail a lot increase diversity in med school that's yeah. a relief right mm-hmm. because are you including me in that because that's a relief no, to I know that the vast majority oh, okay <laughs> I'm like, I, I am such an idiot. No, I no, no. made every mistake out there. <laughs> no, I meant, you know, in among the far uh, the, the better put together people. Oh yeah, no, you're yeah, you yeah, you're one of the look at your kids. You're doing a great job. Aww. Yeah. Your kids are top notch. Thank you. But you know, that is something to think about. There are decisions that I see patients make. And and of course taking into account things that are not in their control, but there are decisions I see patients make where I'm like, I would not make that decision. But being a little bit more like that person who makes bad decisions and then learns from them makes you it it brings you a little bit closer to being able to advise patients on how to avoid those pitfalls you know what I mean and I feel like that's what you guys are talking about is failure is a learning opportunity and it makes you relatable it makes you more resilient it makes you have better judgment it's it's exposure therapy right yeah you fail in small ways in preparation for the big thing where the stakes are really high you don't learn how to ride a bike on a cliff you learn how to ride on a flat street so that when you are on the cliff you're like oh i should really be at yeah 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 thankfully i have balance i think that i and kind of miranda was talking about her own example of like maybe somewhere in kind of her schooling that she failed but couldn't you can't talk about those things it almost feels as though yeah i talk about it to my peers but to say it to kind of higher ups or to even have imagined a world in which you could say it on like a pre-med application. My example is a lot of people will know me and they will say, you played soccer in college, which to them sounds very exciting. I played yeah. division one soccer. It's one of the cool, like the coolest things that I did and was also one of the hardest things that I did. The caveat in this story is I rode the bench for like a good chunk of like my first year and it nearly destroyed me. I came from high school having been a good person on the team, obviously good enough to get into this school, and I got to college and I left every game that year with tears in my eyes 
because I felt that I was never going to be good enough to be on that field. I felt that my coach was against me. I felt that I could not ever like be what the team needed me to be. And it nearly destroyed me to the point that I was very ready to quit. I was very ready to say, I care about school way more than this stupid soccer thing. They don't need me anyway. I'm going to quit. And like, I was there. I was in that moment. Yeah. And I didn't. And I ultimately ended up like, I ultimately did not end up riding the bench for all four years. And I ended up as a captain. And it was a really awesome thing that I did in my life. But you know what I couldn't write about during my application is I couldn't write about the time that I rode the bench and yeah. I almost quit and I left with tears in my eyes every day and I cried to my parents about how my ego is destroyed. I couldn't talk about Why not? All of that because it and I didn't and I know now that I can as I'm literally speaking it out to this world. <laughs> I know you never feel like you can. Yeah, you, you never, never feel, feel like you can admit you weakness. You yeah. never feel as though you can well, because I people come up to me. That makes you such a much more interesting it person. Does. Yeah, that was so poignant. I was going to say Even I, as I'm saying it, I'm like, this bo- is weird that I haven't said this out loud. You know, to people I've, who are like, I've, you're a college athlete, and I go, yeah, but I rode the bench for some time. I've known you for four years. Yeah, and now you're so much more interesting than you used to be. I know. No, no, that's not what I. I'm like, I agree. Well, Failures no, I, are cool. Well, yeah. It is true because a lot of the medical school. So I mentioned that like differential equations course. It showed up on my transcript as a withdrawal because I withdrew so late in the semester from that class. And oh. I remember that because I had to qualify that. And there were a bunch of secondary applications where they asked, like, do you have any W's, D's or F's on your transcript? If so, what happened and why? And like, so it, it is a system that really scrutinizes every single failure you have. And it's like, well, justify. You had to have a good reason for failing. Like, surely, like, there was some cataclysm that happened in your life that you weren't perfect. And it's like, mm. it, there's there's some grace in letting you, like, explain yourself if some, like, catastrophe did befall you. But also, like, maybe I just didn't do it because I was dumb and made a bad decision. Like, there's no good reason I have that, like, I didn't do well. I just yeah. didn't do well. I'm so it sorry. It almost would have been better to finish the class with the C. Yeah. And to have I, to explain well, actually, an advisor did tell me that and I didn't listen to her because, again, I was just so afraid of having anything negative on my transcript. Yeah. It didn't matter, listeners, for the record. But I just wish that there was a and maybe this is now my advice for listeners. If you have this moment of failure and ultimately it ended up in what people may deem as a success, but it did start in a world of what you would describe as failure. Maybe when people ask you about it during your interview cycle, it's okay to say, yeah, you asked me about this really cool thing I did. Yeah, I learned a lot about teamwork. I learned a lot about leadership. But the biggest thing that I learned was how to be resilient from this failure yeah and then insert example of said failure i never thought that i'd make it to the end of that that whole experience and i'd still look back and i'm like wow that's crazy that i didn't again it's i don't think it was the classes that i took that were the most important thing for my resilience now in doing a freaking eight-year school program i think it was having gone through this time of i want to quit and then not doing that and it seems like i feel like what we're getting at here is like the marketability of humility like yes it seems like we're like looking at some spectrum between humility and like arrogance yeah and Mm -hmm. we've talked we talked earlier about how doctor as a doctor or a pa you're gonna be humbled Mm-hmm. And so to be able to get that out of the way early yeah. is like so huge. And, and be comfortable with being humbled yes. and realize that it's not a personal attack. It's you were wrong and someone else was right and being OK with that. And when you're yeah. not feeling OK with being humble in the yeah. moment, as I was <laughs> crying after every game, 
having the grace with yourself to recognize maybe the best experience for me right now is to actually learn how to be okay in this failure and how to come through it. And I think that is single-handedly the hardest part is to recognize when you're failing and to accept it and say, I'm going to learn from it and to not let it ruin your life. Eventually you will fail and you won't cry and that'll be a success. Eventually you will fail and you will have learned from it. And that will be your next step to success. It's it's these little baby steps from I'm crying every day to I'm crying once a week to I'm crying (laughs) once a month suddenly when these things happen. And I think those are the things that are so important for your future as a physician who will likely have a week where you cry every day. Yeah. Taking care of patients. That is very likely to happen. And so having experienced it, I'm not saying go out and like try to cry. Maybe, maybe I am. But yeah. go out and try to find those things in which you are not automatically going to get an A plus or be the captain of the team yeah. immediately. So the other thing I wanted to say to augment your thought is when you're having a bad time, you can either change your environment or you can change the way you're responding to it. And everything you're talking about here, I feel like is changing the way you respond to mm-hmm. it and the way you're perceiving it. because And that's usually what you're going to have to do because for most people, removing yourself from a bad situation is logistically impossible. Yeah. You either don't have the money or the ability or the means, whatever the case may be. You just have to respond to it differently. So that will serve you well, listeners. Not a hot take. Just a good yeah, take. Just a good take. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. We've got a listener question from Tanner who's been... Tanner, thank you for your patience. Been hanging fire for a little while (laughs) on this listener question. He's checking in on his education plan. Let's hear from... uh, Let's hear from Tanner. I'm in the Marines currently, and I am starting school with AMU for a bachelor's in health science. I can get all prereqs in my degree March of 25, so a few months after I get out. Will online school look bad on an application? And with working in the military in full-time online school, I have no time for volunteering. So, you think that will affect me on my application? Thank you, Tanner. What do you guys think? Hmm. What's your first? What's your, what's your, first of all, I should say, I did have to look up what AMU was, American Military University. It's part of the American, I did not know that. American Public university system which is a for-profit institution okay oh okay i mean i guess the caveat being that we're not an admissions committee no. so please always do not always is this the... is not qualified advice but <laughs> first of all tanner thank you for your service yeah. that's really cool yeah. what you're doing yeah. as we've just talked about we like diverse medical students and to hear that you're coming from the marines is already a point in your book first off no one's gonna ever gonna be like military i don't think you can handle this yeah (laughs) so like you may not have the extracurriculars but there's a lot of things you do in the military that are equivalents of the experiences that med schools like to see people have right teamwork leadership service service that's (laughs) no time for volunteering but in some way you are you kind of are yeah services it's in the name yeah right you're the you're the ultimate volunteer you're the ultimate volunteer yeah so yeah, I mean, I, I think 
this, like many other unique careers, it's a question of framing. Like when you're writing your medical school application, are you going to write it as, oh, I wasn't able to do all the stereotypical things because I was too busy with the military? Or are you going to phrase it like I am uniquely qualified because of this experience, this experience, this experience, this time, this commitment? Like how the, the biggest thing is and this applies to everybody, but how will you frame it in such a way that you like because if you know you're qualified convince them that you're qualified don't try to figure out what they want and then pick holes in it that's what you're doing when you apply yeah so number one it sounds like extracurricular wise you're in a good spot you've got a really unique life experience that a whole host of other applicants are not going to have yes and you've likely learned all of the skills that medical schools would want from you without having to go and do research and volunteering and shadowing they just want that because they want you to get probably a lot of the skills that you already got from the military. It yeah. will it will depend on the admission the particular admissions committee. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean the, I the admissions, admissions, admissions yeah. committees <laughs> are made up of people who are weird. And so, you know, they're not yeah. it's it's yeah. I, I don't think I can say with any, you know, authority that all admissions committees will think the same way. In the Riley School of Medicine. You're a in. Plus. You're, yeah. in. You're in. I, I did a little research. Tanner and I knew <gasps> what you did I, research. No, I did. Holy I, cow! I did. I did Prepared. my job. I know you. Don't, I, you may not want to hear this, Tanner, and I'm really sorry, but I am skeptical of AMU. Oh, I don't know anything more about it than what I've read on Wikipedia. So you're gonna have to take my thoughts with a grain of salt here. But it is, as I said, it's a for-profit higher education institution, part of the American public university system, which despite its name is a publicly traded private sector corporation. And all of this has my alarm bells ringing just a little bit. Um, The the private sector was the only thing that really got my alarm bells going. But it's not necessarily means that. No, I mean, Harvard is a private institution. I I don't know if it's a nonprofit or what it is, but, you know, but it is, you know, for-profit institutions are viewed with some... I don't know if distrust is the right word, but, you know, skepticism. they're going to they're going to look a little closer. Yeah. And there have been several high profile investigations of recruiting practices of AMU. And uh, indeed, according to Wikipedia, AMU was investigated by Massachusetts in 2018 for failing to disclose to prospective students job placement rates, loan repayment and graduation rates. They did settle that when AMU changed its practices. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold that too too much against them. The thing that I that I didn't love was the u.s department of education's college scorecard website says that their four-year graduation rate is 18 percent oh and i don't maybe one of you while i'm talking wants to look up our four-year graduation rate because this is part of my job that i forgot to do i think it's pretty good at iowa you mean undergrad school undergrad? undergrad yeah um but again, I cannot say that these institutions will disqualify you from medical school. I was going to uh, say, it's, uh, sorry, go ahead. No. Oh, sorry. Ours, our four-year graduation rate is 53.6. Within five years is 69.6. Within six years is 72.2. So go to the go to the U.S. Department of Education's college scorecard and check it out. They also show, the, you know, sort of the average rates and all that kind of stuff. So that, that might help you. Obviously, the more people who graduate from a four-year institution, the better. The better their education is. I think it's just a measure of, you know, how they help people get through school. You know, consider a community college, too. Like, I, I At least know. for the first part. What I can and what we have said in the past is that you need to ensure that your prereqs for medical school are done at an institution that is rigorous academically and scientifically. That is very important. Medical schools aren't just looking for a list of courses that satisfy prereqs. 
Hmm. Oh, is this this American public university system? That is, yeah. That is the, I guess, parent organization of AMU. It's kind of shady because yeah. my first thought was like, oh, it must Very be funded by Congress. I mean, po- yeah, um, I, I just, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, med schools aren't just looking for a list of courses that satisfy the you know, the prereqs. They are very interested in knowing that you've been tested intellectually and that you can handle what will be a very intense academic program. As a Marine, I have no doubt that you can handle intensity. But, you know, will these courses give you the necessary background to succeed? And that's where the prerequisites come in. So if you're planning on getting your prerequisites after AMU, in another institution, or in, you know, in 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 an academic or the rigorous institution, then that might work. I... If I may, I think I may, may. Have, I think I may have figured out at least part of the reason therefore your graduation rate is so low and that's because they have open admissions policy so every student who applies is accepted. Ah. So like a lot they probably have more students that apply and may that you know and may not be I I hesitate to say you less have to know what the denominator is in this Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. Cuz it's like right. you, apparently you don't even need like an SAT score yeah. to get in. Well, this so. is the thing in addition like to to all of what I just said and what you just started talking about. So this is, you know, to your point, the Association of American Medical Colleges issues a selectivity index for undergraduate institutions that they use during the admissions process. Mm. I didn't know that until today when yeah. I asked Amy uh, <laughs> Ahern, our admissions uh, assistant director, about this. And a- where AMU is on that index isn't known to me. I don't. I don't have that information. I couldn't find it online. So I I guess what I want you to do, Tanner, before you get too far in this journey is I want you to call medical schools. I want you to start calling admissions um, departments at medical schools around the country. You know, call Harvard if you want. (laughs) Call us. Ask them how they view for-profit undergraduate institutions. Ask them specifically how they would look at American uh, Military University. Um, You can call our admissions group, and I know that they will be happy to discuss this with you to answer all your questions. Reach out to them at uh, medicine.uiowa.edu slash md slash admissions. Get in touch. But that's what I want you to do before you get too far on this journey. Not much more I can say about that. That was great advice. Yeah, much better than I was going to give. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's our show. Riley, thank you so much for producing today's show. Thanks for letting me produce. And uh, Alec, Miranda, Aline, thanks for being on the show with us today. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you. And what, as always. And what kind of 8-bit putrid me- mediocre pile of tuberculitic sputum would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcuts, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you to our editor this week, Katie Hyam Kessler. The show is made possible by a generous finish by Carver College of Medicine student government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Bam. Nice. <laughs> I'm so glad everyone joined me on the finger guns thing. <laughs> I gotcha. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced 
racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises. I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.